100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by John Barklow of Sika Gear and Knowledge from Storms. John has dedicated his life to survival, from backcountry hunting to training Navy Special Warfare and Kodiak, Alaska, and most recently, the big game product manager for Sika Gear. We discuss the importance and intricacies of building skills and plans to ensure that you have a safe and successful hunt. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week, we have a story coming from Brandon Harpster out of Pennsylvania. And the story goes, on November 16, 2022, I was able to fill my Pennsylvania tag in one of the least expected ways possible. A little backstory to this story, there's a large piece of public in the mountains of central PA that I decided to go rifle hunt last year with a buddy of mine while season was winding down. With not filled my tag yet, I was on the hunt for some new areas. This was a place that I had e-scouted in the past, but never ventured into until the day last year. After about a mile walk back to this draw, I sat on the hillside in some cover to watch and see almost like a hands-on scouting mission. And about an hour before the last light, a small six point came out and that was it. Since then, I decided that the spot deserved more attention. So this fall, I went up there and set up a camera over a nice scrape and I found and decided to hunt that evening. After not seeing a single deer, I packed up and went home to let this camera soak for a while. Fast forward to today, I knew I had to make it back to that spot one last time before archery season ended. So I woke up at 3.30 a.m., grabbed a buddy, and headed up the mountain for the mile-long trek. Overnight, we had received about four inches of fresh snow up there, and I was itching to get in a tree. I set my buddy up where I wanted to sit, and I decided to circle around a couple hundred yards and set up. After a few hours of battling the dense fog, sleet, rain, and brutal mountaintop wind, I couldn't take it any longer. I climbed down out of my saddle and made my way over towards my buddy. I waited for him to climb back down and load up before going to check the trail camera that's been soaking since October. As we make our way towards the camera, I stop to look around and see a beautiful rub 40 yards away. And just outside the view of my camera, I look over at my buddy and he whispers, Buck, Buck. Still not sure if he's messing with me or not. I look back towards the rub and boom, there he was making his way up this golly looking for a hot doe. I quickly knocked an arrow and he did as well. He has a, a Garmin sight. I whispered as I drew back, are you shooting? Give me a range. And he replies with, my pin isn't working. So I took my best guess and settled my 20 pin at the top of his back and let it fly. My jaw dropped in a disbelief as I watched the buck slowly hunch up and walk off. I look at my buddy. Did I hit him? He acted as if nothing happened. And he said, oh, you smoked him. After collecting myself, we waited a few minutes before inching our way toward the spot he was standing and immediately saw blood. A lot of it. As we walked down the hill, the freshly painted white snow made for an easy track and a perfect hot heart shot made for a quick one. The range turned out to be about 28-ish yards downhill and the iron wheel broadhead did exactly what it was supposed to. Not my biggest buck I've ever shot, but it was a sure and exciting one in its unique way. So thanks for sending in that story, Brandon. Uh, just an awesome deer and... And I mean, I know you said it wasn't your biggest buck that you've ever shot, but I think it's a great mountain buck, 
great deer and just a super cool story to be able to have that with your buddy there. So congratulations on it and thanks for sending it in. If anybody wants to check out the photos of it, head over to East Meets West Hunt on Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook. You can check that out along with the story there. If you have a submission for Mountain Buck Monday, send it in to bo at eastmeetswesthunt.com and I'd love to be able to share it. All right, so just a couple quick news updates here before we roll into this episode with John. The first one is I will not be doing these intros anymore for the video podcast. So this introduction part is only going to be for the audio podcast where I go through the Mountain Buck Monday story and any other relevant news Uh, for the video portion, just keeping it directly for the interview, getting straight into it. So just wanted to to give an update there. Uh, A couple other news things. This is the last week for the Timber Ninja pre-orders, so if anybody's looking to try out any of the the new saddles or pre-order some of the climbing sticks and other gear that we have available over there at Timber Ninja Outdoors, uh, it ends this Friday. So head over there, check it out, and if you have any questions, feel free to ask. I have a code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT that'll get you a free gift with any order over $200. Just use the, the link that I have in the, the show notes, which will take you to the partners page of my website, and everything's there. And also, we talk about outdoor class in this episode with John. So I will be having my own course in outdoor class coming up here later this summer on scouting Big Woods Whitetails. And if you want to jump in and get access to John's course, my course, Remy Warren's courses, Randy Newberg, Corey Jacobson, a ton of different people in there, all for the same price. You can also use code BOW, B-E-A-U, for 20% off outdoor class. So check that out. And lastly, I, uh, I've finally been able to get out uh, doing some scouting. So I was doing some traveling and stuff and, and just been, been working quite a bit, especially on outdoor class. And I got out scouting a new area and it was just a phenomenal trip. It was, it was everything that I had hoped for it, with finding deer sign. Uh, there's definitely some hunter sign there, but not it. It's I think there's very you can very easily avoid these hunters. Uh, found some old sheds. My buddy, I went out with my buddy Lee. He came along with uh, with me and ended up with three sheds. I found just an absolute hammer shed that was uh, a year old. So I have no idea if the buck's alive. But it was it was pretty cool to get to do that and and check out an area that was just super thick with mountain laurel and rhododendron, uh, big oak trees, ridges, no clear cuts, just big mountain country, and it's a haul to get in there. Uh, it's going to be, it's definitely going to be something that I'm going to spend all day if I go into this spot. So, but I kind of wanted to find one of those places again, big, just remote area to get back in and, and hunt a little bit of different stuff. So that's kind of my goal with it to learn. And it definitely passed the test of, I'm going to run some cameras there this year. And if there's acorns, I'll probably even, uh, hunt it in early October, but just want to give an update there, and I hope everyone else has been able to get out and get in the woods and start scouting. This month, I'm going to be hitting it super hard and getting in the woods as much as I possibly can. So hope the same for you. And with that being said, I hope you enjoyed this episode with John Barklow. 
John Barklow, welcome back to the podcast. It's uh it's been it's been a little over a year, almost a year and a half since you've been on. Has it been that long, Bo? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I I think we've talked in between there, but I didn't realize it'd been that long. I, I congrats, man, because your your podcast and platforms are are definitely expanding. Yeah, no, thank you. And it's funny because uh, at one point, I think you were, you were on a couple times a year there and I've, I've learned that there was somebody else I had on recently. It was the same thing. It felt like it was just yesterday, but as I've been just recording and you know, this will be episode 290. So I've been doing wow. quite a few over the last five years, but you were one of my first guests that came on and, and, uh, yeah, we've, we've definitely stayed in touch over this, this period of time and, and got to see how, what you've been doing with knowledge from storms and, going from not uh not wanting to put out any content and I still I know I know that you still don't love that aspect but you want to help <laughs> you want to help people and I yeah. think that's been pretty cool to see. I like to say I'm a uh, somewhat of a reluctant participant. But uh, but uh, yeah, but uh the feedback's been awesome so that's what kind of that's what kind of keeps feeding me to keep doing it but yeah damn 290 episodes that's amazing dude yeah yeah i can't believe uh that i'm still going this long and that anybody still wants to still wants to listen in but it's been it's been really fun i get to talk to so many awesome people throughout this this time frame and learn and grow as a hunter myself just from talking to people that are much much better than myself so it's pretty cool yeah no that's incredible yeah congrats yeah no thank you and and it was uh it's exciting that it was wasn't really exactly planned this way, but I had noticed that uh, the time of recording this that your um, your outdoor class course just came out, and you and I are both doing that, which I haven't talked a whole lot about it on this platform, but uh, it was exciting. I got to go through your course a little bit early um, over the weekend there, and it's extremely helpful for anybody that's that's uh looking at the the whole trip planning and and preparation and everything that you've been doing through knowledge from storm so tell me a little bit about how that process has been going yeah it's actually been a really great positive process you know i just said i was kind of reluctant to do this but you know outdoor class they've assembled such a professional team to you know help people like you and i make these courses and products like as high-end and professional as possible um yeah i've i've kind of been working with them almost a year now believe it or not and we recorded the course in october as i was telling you but just the work it takes to kind of get ready for that i had already you know i already had a lot of things similar to you written down and and ideas and things we talked about and I'd had an idea that I maybe wanted to do some courses at one point in time, but, you know, at the end of the day, you have to realize what you know and what you don't know. And so, yeah, it took me 30 years to get the knowledge I have, but I don't have another 30 years to figure out how to film it and edit it and, you know, get it live. And so it was just such a great opportunity. Randy Newberg approached me about it. And uh, so we, we finally recorded in October and then just the last couple months, it's been you know, back and forth on edits and trying to, to kind of put it together. And so, yeah, so backcountry mission planning, uh, just launched today, which is the 27th of February. So yeah, I'm excited. And, um, you know, I've got a couple more that I'm 
you're not not supposed to do, but I'm I'm working on already. As you know, it's a, <laughs> yeah. a, a bit a bit a bit interesting, you know, to write to write a script and and to write a write a course like that from an outline. So just been working on that, kind of getting the next two, and and that my intent is that the next two build on this first one, which is really foundational to anything, you know, kind of backcountry related, um, and just just trying to draw on you know, 30 some years of experience and making mistakes and seeing other people make mistakes and learning from that and just trying to, just trying to lessen the steepness of the learning curve for folks. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's incredible. And, and, uh, and as we've talked about before, and I, and I apologize, I haven't given John a good introduction here, but for anybody that's listened to the podcast for a while, and John's been on here quite a few times has very extensive background in in this planning and and survival and not like the the total bushcraft side of things but realistic planning to survive out in the mountains and make sure you have your planning there and also being i believe your title still the the big game product manager at sick gear um but uh there's you know you have a a very extensive knowledge base through through years of training and just real world experience out there in the field. So it's really cool to be able to see that where, yeah, you get the people from outdoor class that are able to, that know the video, they know the editing side, they can help steer you in the right direction as far as how to, how to articulate that. So people can, you know, best, uh, I guess, consume that, that information. So it's super helpful that it's all in one place too, all in one platform. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, as you mentioned, been on your podcast a lot and just as an example you know we've talked about or we talked about maybe it was the last time we talked i don't remember but you know we talked about altitude and then you went to colorado um you know and had some experiences with altitude there but you know you have all this information and it's a little bit disorganized across all these different platforms and so it's been great to to kind of focus it and bring it together and put it in one one class that's you know it's 16 chapters long so um you know it's pretty extensive kind of i think it kind of goes from a to z just i mean in my mind just about anything you could want to know or at least touches on to kind of get prepared to find as much success as you can yeah no i i agree and i like that it's in bite-sized pieces you know and those those videos that could be anywhere from four minutes to 12 minutes long that you can kind of consume at any time from your phone and go through it at your own pace and and because uh, i always had the idea of doing my own course and kind of you know i have i have a little more background than you do on the the editing side and doing that portion, yeah. but it's still it's a it's a big lift and and then also it's like okay if i put this out on my own you know people have to buy this and it's just this particular thing where someone can spend the hundred dollars a year and have all of this stuff from yourself uh remy and randy and Corey and all of these other people hank shaw and everyone else that's in and there's a giant list of people that i know they keep adding to it's all in there and that you can kind of consume that at your own your own level and it's all um not sure the right term but it's basically all in in one place and organized in a way that you can consume it and make actions based off of those things versus kind of being scattered around like you were talking about with the amount of podcasts and stuff that you've done over the years. Yeah. And you can go back and, you know, rewatch a chapter as many times as you want or take the whole course. And 
like you said, this platform of outdoor classes, you know, kind of the best, maybe the best analogy I've heard is it's essentially like master class where you could go take a, uh, you know, a college course from say, you know, the world's best professor in physics at Harvard is an example. Um, but it's, it's basically for, for all things outdoors, you know, it's, it's pretty broad in its scope. Um, but yeah, that one yearly membership gets you access to every bit of content on there, not just my course, not just your course when you come out with it, but you know, everybody's course on there you, you have access to. So, I mean, I don't know of any other place for anybody, you know, hunting, fishing, outdoor related that that platform exists. I mean, it's, it's in some regard, it's, it's a little bit amazing. It's taken this long, but when you actually see the back end and, and the work and the time and the investment it takes to do it, um, and that outdoor classes put into it, you're like, okay, maybe I understand yeah. a little more why nobody else has, has done it yet, but, um, they're definitely doing it the right way. Like in my opinion, yeah. very, very professionally done. Yeah, no, I, I, it was, it was so cool when, um, I was, it was back when I had, this was over a year ago, I guess when I first got the call, uh, my phone, I got a text message and it was like, Hey, Bo, this is Randy Newberg. You'd mind giving me a call. And I was like, and I'd never met Randy before, but I've known him. Oh, I was okay. like, I was like, Holy cow. What's you know, what's, what's this about? And then I found out what, what he was looking for there. And I was like, this is, yeah, I, same, same thing. I'm like, I can't believe it's taken this long for someone to do that. But yeah, now seeing the workload that goes into it from outdoor classes perspective and all of ours as the creators there, it takes, takes a lot to be able to curate that information and be able to put it out there. But no, I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah. You, you've got to really want to teach and be kind of committed to it to, you know, to want to sign up as, as an instructor. Um, you know, we, you and I were just talk a little bit off air, but you know, you have this knowledge and it takes years to acquire the knowledge. Um, so you've thought about it, but you know, how do you, to your point, like get it to market, you know, how do you, how do you get it so where it's curated in such a way that it's consumable? And, you know, that's what, that's what Dave really helped me with. Um, but, you know, when you think about from an instructor standpoint, the time and besides what it took you to get the knowledge, the time it takes you to get the course, you know, to market, um, it, you know, it's a lot. It really does take a commitment. And, you know, some people I think are are really good at conveying that message. And I'm sure when you do yours, it'll be awesome. Um but it's, you know, it's not, it's not for everybody to be able to sit there in a studio and knock out 16 chapters. And like, you know, we were talking all the B-roll that goes with it and the editing and yeah, I, you know, I thought I had a pretty good idea. Um, I, I've not done anything to this extent, but I thought I had a pretty good idea of what it was going to take. And I mean, it was probably a conservative was probably three X, maybe four X the amount of time <laughs> that I thought. And, and although I enjoyed it uh, and I told you, I'm, you know, I'm working on a few others, but it's just a lot of time and it's a lot of, you know, attention to detail and, and commitment. But, but ultimately I think they help somebody like myself put out a product. I mean, I am incredibly, you know, proud of it. I, you know, since I left the military in 20, like the, uh, mid 2014 
I'd had this idea that I wanted to do something like this. And back then, I, I literally had no idea what that took. Um, but then, like like you said, the more you think about it, it's like, geez, like I don't, I don't even know the people it would take that you know for me to bring in to help me get this done. And then it would still be this one off in this whole world of of other platforms. And so that's the cool thing what Outdoor Class is doing. And you know, I, I've I don't know if you've seen. I, I won't give it away, but you know, just the people that they're trying to get to create courses or you know signing on to create courses and the diversity of not only the people but the information they're put out like this is going to be like a one-stop shop for anybody either experienced or somebody brand new that wants to get into any of these outdoor pursuits because you know you and i both know that you know hunting and fishing i guess i'll throw in there um they're not the easiest things to learn or to get started doing. And, you know, if you don't have a dad or granddad that was kind of your mentor and kind of helped you and just slowly over time as a kid, you know, kind of got, you know, heard some lessons learned and, and went out and tried some of your own, like it, it's kind of intimidating and I don't know where to go. I don't know how to do this. Like, where do I learn, you know, animal behavior, whatever the case may be. And, and so that's, what's so cool about this is this is almost like a modern day mentor for hunters and outdoorsmen that that haven't had that. And, um, I wished I'd have had this cause you know, I was the self, uh, self-taught archery hunter and failed at, at all of that, uh, <laughs> for, for, for decades really. Um, and so it's like, it's so cool that, you know, we're finally to a point in our evolution as a, as an industry and, 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 and just out outdoors people that, you know, we have this platform. So, yeah. And it's just, it is cool too. Like the, the information that's out there now, it doesn't, I, I don't want to say it makes, it doesn't make anything like easy, but what it does is it gives you the tools to be able to put in the work in the right direction and help reduce that learning curve. You know what I, like, it's not, you can't, go, you can't go without the experience. Like the experience is what is the the best teacher to be able to have you that, but being able to, you know, maybe step over a few mistakes without, you know, making them on your own helps with, you know, everyone's got limited time even more so than ever. It seems like everybody's extremely busy and families and, and just time is very valuable. So I think that's, it's, it's super helpful to be able to have that. And then in the case of your courses, um, and in a lot of cases being, you know, potentially life-saving on, on, uh, by utilizing some of those things and, and paying attention to it. And I've, I've learned a, a lot from, well, I've learned a lot from you before this course, but it's, uh, it was really nice to be able to see that all in one place and be able to, to take it there. So, um, but yeah, that's, I just wanted to kind of hit on that up front. Yeah. I, th I think that courses like this and, and this outdoor class platform, it, you still have to climb the hill but it helps you start maybe a little bit farther up the hill than, than right in the Valley. Um, you know, you still have to go get the experience. I, I think that when you hear information and just different ways people do it and you get different perspectives, you know, something's going to stick some things that, have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart and others available at all times? Well, you can with Cyber Scout from Spartan Forge. Cyber Scout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. 
I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories you know, that I think any of us may talk about in our courses, some people might not even know, you know, is something you need to consider. Um, you know, altitude again is kind of one of those where people are like, because I've, I've talked to so many people, not, 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 not you, you and I podcast about it, but talk to so many people and they're like, they just didn't understand. I mean, this last summer, somebody, two guys came up to me and we were talking and they're like, Hey, hey you know, we're going to, hunt mule there at 13,000 feet in Colorado. And I guess they already had the tags by that point. It was maybe late June. And, and I was like, Oh, cool. You know, and they started asking me all these questions and I realized that like they had not no idea, like they, they knew how to hunt, but that environment was so completely foreign to them that they didn't understand altitude or they didn't understand how to acclimatize or they didn't have a, plan of action if and when you know that late afternoon thunderstorm rolls over and there's lightning and and so you know spent a good amount of time talking to those guys but i'm like man like i think there's something and these guys are probably mid-30s i'm like yeah i think there's something you know there's something more we need to talk about to help people so yeah no and i I think that's from my perspective it's so important um and it's never the the sexiest thing to talk about you know it's always it's always more fun i guess to talk about you know tactics for calling elk and doing all these things but like that aspect of it is so important and me coming from a background in safety and health um from what i did in my previous career and like planning and doing all these things like i understand the importance of all of that stuff and being able to see it where it it just can't be overlooked, even though that, again, it doesn't, isn't the sexiest thing to, to work on or putting together these plans and the route planning and, and everything that, you know, comes involved with it, but it can definitely make your experience as, as you and I've talked about, you know, many times in the past on clothing and, and layering and all of that stuff. It's, it's, doing these things will help make your experience that much better and, and, uh, you know, hopefully make it where you don't even notice that you could have had any problems because you mitigated those risks, um, ahead of time. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't think people realize who haven't done it, like how much planning and training and, and effort goes into some of these trips. And when you do them enough, it kind of becomes second nature, but 
the reality is that planning is still there. And so that kind of builds the foundation of any trip, no matter what you're doing, right? It could be a canoe trip. It could be a hunting trip. It could be a whatever, a backpacking trip. Um, and so I, I like this course specifically, backcountry mission planning really focuses on what I just generally call the care and feeding of the hunter. So, you know, everything from mindset and training to, you know, your lessons learned after the fact. Um, and it's not something that's often talked about. And, and to your point, it's not maybe what people consider the sexiest, like, you know, probably not going to be the cover of a hunting magazine where it says, you know, backcountry mission planning. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'd love it. Right. But it's going to be the, it's going to be the outcome of that, which is the animal. Um, but we spend so much time and effort and money and focus on building the perfect rifle round or shooting our bows and, you know, going to these different events throughout the summer. Obviously, e-scouting is a huge thing. And, um, and there's some cool courses coming on e-scouting. But I was kind of like, okay, well, what else are you doing to prepare for the hunt? And what, like, what are you doing with that e-scouting? And what I realized is, you know, people, and we've all done this, right? I can go on Google map and I can take the course and I can find the unit and I can drop all these pins. And then you ask the person, you're like, well, what altitude are you hunting at? And they're like, well, I didn't know that was important. Well, how, how long are you going to, you know, plan it to, to get to altitude or what's your water source or how far is it from the trailhead to your first glassing knob? And, you know, they've dropped all these pins, but they don't necessarily know, or they say, well, it's only five kilometers. And I'm like five kilometers, but how much elevation gain or loss? Like how many ridges are you going over? And, and that's the reality, right? So it's like that next level thing that you start to get into. And then it's like, well, what's your clothing system, you know? And then what's your training plan to kind of get prepared for this? And, you know, none of us want to, none of us want to spend the money on the tag and then spend the money on the gas time away from home, vacation days burned. And then, and this has happened a lot. And I know you've, you've heard this as well. And then people get to the trailhead or they get into the area and they haven't planned properly for whatever reason. And they spend one, two or three days and then they're, you know, they blow up and then the trip's over and, and they're, and they're back home. And so if nobody kind of comes in and says, okay, well, let's look at this and here's why this happened and here's how to make that trip next year, the year after like that much better to help you ultimately find success. Like, you know, hunters are just going to quit and go do something else. Right. And play tennis or something. Yeah. Well, and, and, and know it's funny about like that, uh, that trip that you were talking about with me and, and Colorado and the altitude and it was similar to those hunters that you were talking about, you know, going 12,000 feet and, and hunting mule deer. And I felt like I, I had a decent plan going into it. You and I had talked about it ahead you did. of time. You did. And, yeah. and there was some, there was some other circumstances, which I've talked about on here before, where I was sick with both the sinus infection and had mono going into it. Didn't know that at the time. And that didn't help with the, the altitude, but Honestly, though, there was some other things that I found some big gaps in my plan was like, okay, so I had this hunt plan with five different areas and that had specific locations within there, how to access it, the routes, all those things. But what I didn't have was anything at lower elevation. Everything was up there, you know, and that could even be, uh, you know, 
even if it wasn't, you know, me dealing with altitude, but for me, it was like the doctors, like you can't go above, I can't remember it was 8,500 feet or whatever again for the rest of this trip. Well, I didn't have any places marked. I had to go to ground zero. I'm sitting in a hotel trying to e-scout and wasting all this time because I didn't have other plans in place to be able to do that. And maybe it's weather that, you know, that could push you off the mountain and having these places. And I even look at it from a, I've taken this even in my whitetail hunting planning of like, uh, like we had this past year with a very warm rut where the deer might not be in the tops of the mountains as much or running the higher in the hills. They're going to be down in the valleys and the cooler and the hemlocks down by the streams. And if you don't have these multiple things, you know, I guess places marked from e-scouting and your planning and having this all in your hunt plan to be able to, to make a switch or pivot, then, then you can be kind of shit out of luck. And, and that, that portion and waste a lot of that time. And, uh, it's something that, that I take very seriously now, even more so with when I'm doing those reports afterwards, which I think you, well, I know you talk about in the course and is being able to reflect on it and, you know, putting a report of together of everything that you learned. And it's helpful for me. Like I'll do it right in my phone and my notes while I'm out in the field, anything that comes up, that's like either if it's gear related or me that I'm you know struggling with, I put it in there is like, okay, I need to work on this. It needs, it needs improved upon. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually give you all the credit in the world for the Colorado trip because one, you had, you had learned right about altitude and all those kind of things. But then when it happened, you, you were aware enough, you were educated enough to understand what was going on. And then you had the discipline to get the heck off the mountain. Right. And then, like you said, then you had to figure some other things out. So, you know, those things happen. Um, you know, another thing that I talk about is weather considerations. So you talk about, you didn't have any, any place down low, but depending on where you're going, say you're going to hunt at 8,500 feet or you're going to hunt at 12,000 feet, you know, those are different environments. And oftentimes the weather can be completely different. And so, you know, we're in our garage, it's July, we're planning for our trips, we're getting all psyched. We, you know, bought any uh, new gear, tested it, whatever we needed, and we're packing. And we just can't fathom that in, say, mid or late August, that it could snow. At, if it, you know, if you're at any kind of altitude or it could be below freezing. And so if you're not prepared, a lot of times that's what gets people into trouble. Our first week of rifle season here in Montana, almost inevitably seems like it's got some snow and oftentimes the snow is at altitude. So, you know, I live around 5,000 feet. It could be raining here. Hell, it could still be sunny, but it could be snowing a foot or two or three in the mountains that first week of rifle. And so people will go in a couple of days early before the storm hits. Maybe they have a weather forecast. Maybe they don't, maybe they haven't thought through it. And then they, they kind of have an unforced error and make themselves, you know, at the worst, they make themselves a, a casualty, right. Or a victim. And, you know, kind of the, the lesser of those is they just ruin their trip and they get pushed out. Right. And, you know, if it's a blizzard up there, you're probably not going to run into a deer or elk anyways. So, you know, and just, just having that knowledge to be able to be adaptable and, and change. And, um, it's just not something that if you haven't kind of grown up with it, so to speak, that you're, 
you're just not as aware of as maybe you need to be, especially when you start moving from state to state and environment to environment, you know, and some, some recent market data that, that we got is, is kind of fascinating in the sense that, you know, and, and really I think the years of COVID kind of brought this on, but, you know, there's the more than 50% of hunters are hunting four and more, four more states a year. And so, you know, sure, like in your neck of the woods, you could be hitting just the four states around you and hunt turkey. I mean, that's probably part of it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, look, the name of your podcast, right? Eats Me West. More and more people are going from east to west. And mind you, people are going from west to east, right? But when you come out west, it's a little bit more desolate. The terrain's completely different. There's a lot more things to consider, you know. Do you have to cross a river? When would you do that? How do you do that? What's the what's the temperature going to be like? Altitude all of a sudden becomes a factor. Um, you know, finding water, all these things that really make or break your hunt before you ever get to the point where you're implementing your hunting skills, right? Your calling, your shooting prowess, your, you know, whatever it may be, tracking, you know, you still got to go out there and live and you know, thrive. I don't, I don't like to use the word survive, but, you know, go out there and live and thrive and be able to care and feed for your, uh, feed and care for yourself to spend enough time out there to give yourself those opportunities. Right. And then when you find the elk or the deer or whatever, now you can put into play all the cool things that you practiced and, and we all want to talk about and, and are fun to do. But if you can't go spend a week out there, the chances of you ever finding success are so slim that, you know, you probably need to refocus on, on some skills, some skill development anyways. Well, yeah. I mean, I I can even think of an example of last year I was hunting in Montana in May during spring bear. And, uh, I was with my buddy, Gary, who you've, uh, met since then and, and Trevor, uh, who works for Sitka. And we were trying, we were trying to find a place to glass from this one point and Trevor had found a good glassing point on the map, but it was like, all right, how do we access this? And, you know, and between all of us having been hunting for a while, we were able to pick a route that we had to navigate through some cliffs and being able to look at the, the topography and the way everything, you know, laid to be able to safely navigate that and get to that location and then how to do it in the dark and going back and backtracking and have all this stuff. Anyways, you know, if we wouldn't have been able to get to that point, you know, we would never saw that bear that I ended up killing the next day. And, but that's all, those are little skills that you don't think of when you're looking at a map and you just drop, Oh, I remember the first time I went out West, I was dropping points all over a glass from here, here, here. And then I get there and I had no idea how to get to those places. And some of them weren't even realistic. And it's like, by understanding that, and then even later in that hunt, you know, I killed my bear and it was on the way in, we were hiking in a t-shirt basically. And then by the time that I was shooting, we were laying in our rain gear and it was sleeting. And so, you know, shot it. And the next day when we went back in to try to find one for Gary, we got dumped on with over a foot of snow and him and I were up there building the fire, kind of just sitting there talking with winds. Just, it was just insane, you know, with the the weather change and him and I were sitting there talking and he's got extensive training on, on the background like you do. And, and he, you know, we were talking about 
why you're like we were joking of like why would you never bring your rain gear for how light it is and and even in your puffy gear for like even though it was 70 degrees and if you would have looked at the long-term forecast it didn't show that but we were in there long enough there's two things that i think helped was having uh, Garmin in reach that has weather in it. And I check that to be able to give, get weather alerts. Still, it's not, you know, it's not going to tell you exactly depending on your elevation, what you're getting, but it gets you, you know, somewhat close, but being able to, to plan for that. And then I, I went against my own rule when I was out there and not my own rule, but I, what I knew better. And when I was in Montana elk hunting, I was out there for 21 days and I went back to the truck on day like 17 to get some more food and go back in and it would been hot and dry this whole time and i took my rain pants out and (laughs) threw them in the truck didn't bring bring them in what do you know we get a day of like 37 degrees and mist the whole day and i didn't i don't even think i had my i don't think i had gators either which is so dumb and i know better and all of a sudden my pants get wet from the brush and all the the stuff getting wet and then it soaks into my socks and then it soaks my boots <laughs> and then you get blisters and, you're, and then you get blistered. Yeah. And it's yep. like, and I was so mad at myself because I was like, I knew better than to do that. And I just, yeah. And it was like, Gary and I talked about this three months ago. Why would you not bring your rain pants, uh, on something like this? And it was just a lesson learned. And I always think of you. I oh thought, yeah. thought of you. Well, some lessons, uh, some lessons I've had to relearn multiple, multiple times. Right. Yeah. So, uh, just kind of reinforce the the pain a little bit, but you know, you talk, that's, that's such a perfect example of that, that bear hunt, you know, and I had a bear hunt last year where it was like all four days were completely different weather wise, you know, and often in spring you get that and often in fall, especially out West. Right. But I mean, anywhere, but out West, maybe because of the isolation, it's a little more, uh, important but you know i i i talk about um a a little bit in the course but i mean i i probably write a whole course just on quote survival um but you know when you think about clothing and it's like whether you know clothing is kind of your first line of defense against the elements and when you realize it can be dynamic like that and that weather forecasts even when you get them aren't super accurate again based on you know elevations and things like that and one side of the mountain vice the other side of the mountain and and all different kinds of considerations um that a lot of times when people get in these situations that are you know quote a survival situation uh you know having taught SAR groups and and talking to people and you know seeing it myself and I've never really been in an experience where I've you know, had to like hit SOS, but I've certainly been in situations where I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, make it out of this completely unscathed. Um, you realize that a lot of it's unforced errors by the person, right? Or by the group of people. And, you know, if you don't realize that today could be sunny and tomorrow could be a foot of snow and you don't bring that puffy jacket and rain gear, because, you know, we all get in this mindset of wanting to cut out, cut ounces and things like that. But it's like, man, but don't do it where those ounces could compromise your safety or the hunt, especially if you're driving like across the country, you know, to go on a hunt and you've got all this investment and well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped after playing around with the buddies Hoyt RX eight, 
The smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Ghost Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at themobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. You know, you can't control, uh, you know, lightning strikes and, and bears and things like that. But what you can control is, you know, the gear you bring, how prepared you are, what your training was. And, and so that's where it's like, where you guys just took it and let's just say that that snowstorm became a setback and it's going to be a cool thing to talk about and you built the fire and you hung out and it was just a great bonding experience right if you didn't have that equipment if you didn't have that little bit of knowledge that could have become a quote survival situation right where somebody's getting hypothermic and you guys have to try to make it out maybe you start you know fighting for maybe not your life but maybe some some limbs or some toes or fingers you know and, and, you know, I think when people look at the pros and I think Bo, if we want to admit this or not, you know, we are kind of looked at in that vein now, right. And for our little, uh, our, our disciplines, they don't realize that I go nowhere without a puffy jacket and rain gear. Now that rain gear and puffy jacket may change depending on the environment and where I'm, where I'm doing it. But like, I always have that stuff. And so things that other people may be fighting for their life on maybe just become a setback to you or I, uh, you know, you're trying to get, maybe you're trying to get back down with that bear. You guys get cliffed out. You're like, well, you know, the best course of action is just to sit down and wait for daylight. You know that because you're experienced, but you also know that you're not going to unduly suffer. You know that you have enough stuff to at least ride out the night and not die. Right. And so you're more inclined to make that good decision as opposed to potentially the bad decision and try to get down through the cliffs at night, somebody falls, somebody slips, somebody tumbles, hits their head, breaks their ankle, you know, and then all of a sudden these things start to cascade. And even though things like that happen, let's just say I slip and fall down the rocks and sprain my ankle and can't walk out. I have an inreach, right? So I've mitigated some risk. I communicate with my friends. My friends know where I've at because I've given them a route plan or my buddy that's with me is able to walk out and I've got enough stuff that I can sit there in somewhat relative comfort for 24 hours until my buddies come in and help me get out of the mountains. 
And I'm not mashing the SOS button, go, man, if a helicopter doesn't fly and come get me, I'm going to die. Oftentimes, when people get hurt, the weather's such that a lot of those air assets can't even come in and get you, right? And so you just start to learn some of this stuff and that it's all kind of inter interconnected. And, you know, that's that's what I hope people over, over time start to learn. They listen to these stories. They listen to our mistakes. And they're like, ah, I remember that one time, you know, that, that uh, you know, John said he did this or that and he shouldn't have done that. And and that's what helps. And that that's, that's what starts to lay that foundation to people learning what to do and what not to do, I think. Yeah, no, I, 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 I totally agree. And I, and I think, like you said, like out West is like, I guess the pinnacle of where some of those bad things can happen. But the way I look at it too, is like that stuff for a lot of the, the, the listeners here that are, you know, even primarily deer hunters, that same, the same things can be applied and the same things can happen just maybe not as an extreme risk, but even like, for example, someone going into, say you're going to hunt somewhere and you have a tree stand, or maybe you're going in to set up in a saddle or whatever it is, you know, making sure someone knows where you're at at all times. And like, so what I, what it used to, I learned this from my dad a long time ago. He'd always have a topo map sitting on in the basement on a table. When he'd leave, he'd have a spot where he was marked at, where he'd park his truck at so that we knew uh, where he was at if he didn't come home. And now with technology, we just send a waypoint. You know, even if I'm yeah. even if I'm halfway across the country somewhere else, he'll send me GPS coordinates where he's going to be or where he's going in to scout or do whatever because if he doesn't have phone service or anything else yep. so that, you know, and just like there's these things can be applied to, you know, to deer hunting and turkey hunting and whatever else it might be in other aspects versus just, just looking at it at these, you know, once in a lifetime or, or once a year type trips, these, these types of planning can be really built into to anything in my opinion. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, anybody who's heard me talk with you on your podcast before, you know, I'm from Ohio, right? Yeah. So you're from Pennsylvania. And mind you, you know, when I grew up, like I said, I was kind of self-taught. I don't know if I was self-taught or self-destructive, but anyways, <laughs> um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the stereotypical whitetail hunting is, you know, a couple hundred yards from the road or the truck or, you know, whatever the case may be. And there's nothing against it. I'm not saying that in any kind of demeaning way, but when I look at some of the stuff you guys are doing in Pennsylvania and your, your, your mountain hunts, right? Your big buck mountain hunts and you're going in and you're setting up saddles and things like that. And I don't know if you guys ever, you know, spend the night away and then climb back in a tree. But my point is it's like a mile or three miles doesn't seem that terribly far until you're hypothermic, until you've got a sprained ankle, until you fell out of the tree because the limb broke and you hit your head and you're dizzy. Like, you absolutely, you absolutely need to apply the same level of planning and discipline and preparation for that kind of hunt as you do for any hunt out west. So I, by no means do I want to make it sound like it's only a western thing because it's not. Um, there are plenty of places back east where you guys are even half a mile. Like it doesn't have to be that far where you need to make sure you're prepared. Somebody knows where you are. You know, there's bears there. There's lightning, there's snakes. Like there's all those things, right? There's in your, in your case, falling out of trees potentially. And, um, people need to be prepared because if they don't, then they, they are setting themselves up to potentially be a, uh, a victim. 
and they don't need to be right. Like I just keep saying they're unforced errors. And, you know, I always have this mantra that kind of runs through my head when I'm maybe not doing something dumb, definitely when I'm doing something dumb, but maybe when I'm doing something that's like, I know I need to do it, but it's a little sketch like, Hey, I need to cross a log that's 10 feet above a river. And, you know, (laughs) I got to get across this and I'm like, don't die dumb. Don't die dumb. Don't die dumb. You know, don't fall off and drown, you know, all those things. And so that could happen anywhere. Yeah. Um, It doesn't just have to be out West by any means. You know, and it's, 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 uh, I'm glad you said that about like the, the falling from trees too, because that was something that as more people, there's more people getting into the quote unquote mobile hunting aspect of whitetails and basically going in, setting up, tearing down and moving on public ground and, or, or on private. But the, there's been, you know, hunting out of a saddle that I do a lot of, um, is I think one of the safest methods that you can do for climbing up and down the tree. Cause you're always you're constantly connected and you have that, but you can still fall and have problems with, um, basically hanging there and having, um, I'm trying to think of the right term for it, but basically where you have tension underneath your legs, uh, that, the sort of trauma there. But anyways, like I was talking to, uh, Jason, he's the owner of this company, Timber Ninja I work with, and he just came out with a product called the extract that's that you clip onto your saddle when you're in the tree. And if you were to fall, say your platform happened to break, you know, things can happen or you slipped or, or something happened that you can deploy this. And it has like a ring, like a, a step ladder that basically comes down that you can put your feet in, take the trauma off and you're able to self extract. And yep. like, I was like, man, like that type of stuff, I, I need to do a better job at myself of showing uh, safe ways of doing these types of things as someone who has a voice in this community. So like to help with planning on the whitetail side, you know, even me, when I bring people like you on and others that help with this, I focus a lot on the Western hunting front, but I need to, you know, really put that, that information out because it's the same, same thing for the whitetail side of things. Just, just different, different hazards that can, that can come up with it. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you were to go a mile off, the the road or the trail out west um you can get in it just as much trouble as you can going a mile off the road of pennsylvania yeah right yeah you absolutely can there is there is zero difference um but to your point yeah and and i'm i guess i'm somewhat guilty of this like i tend to focus on on the western side i mean that's where i live yeah um but, you know, when you're whitetail hunting, it's not like you're seeking people. So you're trying to go to isolated places. You're trying to go kind of as far off the beaten path as, as you can. And so you can absolutely still get into trouble. And I, I love that. Timber Ninja. Is that what you yeah, said? That's yeah. A, that's a that's a badass name. But um, but yeah, that's that's super cool. It's like this self-rescue um, mindset. It, it really comes down to a mindset of this. You know, there's a difference. I was telling somebody the other day, there's a big difference between being prepared and paranoid, right? And I like to say, what if weighs a lot. And so you can kind of what if a scenario to death and and either choose to never go do it because you've what if it to death or you carry so much gear that you're not super effective. And I think that just some of that comes and goes with with experience, you know, either what you're doing or the environment you're doing it in. But um but that planning and preparation, like that, that is, again, that's the foundation of everything you build on 
and either for that trip or, you know, year after years, you just get better as an outdoorsman. Um, you're, you're just, you're just building on that. And I would tell you that, you know, 20 years ago, I used to do stuff and my poor wife, you know, I mean, I put her through hell over the years, <laughs> never telling her where I'm going. You know, we didn't have in reaches and stuff at the time, but, you know, never telling her where I'm going and this and that. And, and now, even though I'm 20 years more experienced, I would never consider going anywhere and not telling somebody where I am and dropping them a pin and, you know, telling them where my truck's parked and all those kinds of things. So, um, you know, it's kind of like play smarter, not harder deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And, and there's just, it, it also, I wanted to just one other quick thing was like back on the, the whitetail side, there was a time when uh, I was 2019, I did a backpack hunt and rifle season in Pennsylvania and actually went back in. It was about four and a half miles set up camp and it was a very desolate location. And I had probably one of the worst nights of weather and I, I terrible tent planning i set up in the bottom of a creek bottom where it thawed once i had my hot stove going and then it turned to a muddy mess and i'm in a floorless shelter and it was just like i was wet (laughs) and it was you know freezing rain i couldn't get a fire started like everything that you could think of and i was like i had a worse night and next day of experience than i did any time out west and i was in my own home state and it was just uh something that that i I laughed about (laughs) but um yeah. So anyways, like I said, some lessons we have to relearn. Yeah. It, it, a hundred percent. And I learned how much, uh, you know, like you, I feel like it's one of those pride things. Like as a guy, you want to be able to like, like oh, I can start a fire anywhere, you know? And that's why I love like watching your videos of all the different ways of like practically starting a fire. Cause I was like, I thought, you know, I'm like, Oh, I've, you know, lived in the woods my whole life. I can do this while well, I struggled. And me and my buddy were like, man, we, we're a terrible example of outdoorsmen right now. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I love Bo and, and like a platform like this is that you talk about that Yeah, because a lot of times, especially, you know, the, the hunters and outdoorsmen and backcountry travelers and all that, like, you know, you got to have a pretty, you have to be pretty confident and have a little bit of an ego and we all have egos, but we also make mistakes. I don't care who you are. I don't care how experienced you are. We all make mistakes and remake mistakes. And the more we can talk about that, the more it makes people realize that not only can it happen to anybody, but like, you're not some failure if you go out there and you can't start a fire. Yeah. Right? Or you're not some failure if you didn't find the, the best campsite. I think those hopefully be, those errors become less and less as you as you gain experience. But you still, at least for me, like no matter no matter what, my first trip out in the winter, I, last couple of years I've been doing it by myself, and I'll just go on a ski tour and spend the night, and inevitably I will you know, forget something or, you know, forgot, oh, I'm supposed to do this or not that, or I should have brought, you know, this and whatever, or my water freezes or whatever the case may be. And I've been doing this for a long, long time. And it's just, I don't, I don't beat myself up about it. I'm like, nope, I'm just working through the, just working the kinks out, getting my rhythm, you know, and now like next week, I think, you know, I'm going to go basically spend a week out ski touring. I was just, we were just doing some filming the other this last weekend, it was like a low of three or four degrees. And like my system's dialed now, like back to being dialed. But like, I still got to like get in that groove and figure it out. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. I need to remember to, you know, bring my puffy socks or whatever it is, you know? 
Yeah. Uh, but I think the more we talk about that, the more, the more attainable all this stuff is. It's not like any, any, anybody can do it. I think people just need to, this is easier said than done, but I think we just have to have a little patience with ourselves. And like some of these trips that, that I'll just speak for you, like that you've done, like the Colorado stuff at altitude, or, you know, now going to Alaska, you're going back to Alaska. You've been there before. Yeah. But like those trips, okay, now you're starting to like, now you're starting to get a little farther out there and you have to, you have to have the basics pretty well wired because now you're going to start to interject a lot more things, more isolation, uh, where maybe you can't get out because you, you flew in and, you know, uh, somebody can't come get you or there's grizzly bears or there's big rivers. You got to cross. Like there's so many, now there's so many more skill sets you have to start kind of combining. Um, but again, if you don't understand just how to become a good woodsman or outdoorsman and, and build some of these skills over time, which to me is the fun part because hunting season's so short. It's like, well, what else are you going to do the other yeah. nine months out of the year? Um, but until you kind of do that and start figuring those things out, like some of those bigger trips are maybe a little bit not as attainable, but, but if you're patient with yourself and you're like, oh, but in three years, five years, wherever you are in your kind of progression, then it's like, that's, I can go to Alaska in five years and pull that remote trip off, uh, you know, on Kodiak Island as an example or whatever it is. And it's like, yeah, that's totally attainable, but you can't come off the couch having never done this and expect to go do that and then think everything's going to go right and you're going to be completely safe and find all this success. Like the odds are just a lot lower that that's going to happen for you until you build these foundational skills. Well, heck, I mean, my first trip to Colorado in 2016, the first time I ever went out there, three days of backpack hunting, I felt like I was, I felt like I was, I, I don't know. I didn't, I felt like I was going to die. Like I just, I just, I was like, I need to get, you know, I just completely was not in a good headspace where, you know, last year I spent 21 days in Montana and 18 of those days I spent in the back country, you know, and it was like, you, you build upon those things. Like I could never have done that, you know, five, six, seven years ago. And it's just like, as you start doing it, you start building that, that stuff. And I think that's, for me, it's been, it's been awesome to learn and just like see skills build over time. And then now, now getting dropped off at a lake in Alaska for 12 days, like that'll be another new challenge of, you know, putting my, you know, one more step forward of, of, you know, Mm -hmm. building skills and getting better and, you know, learning from someone like you, that's had, you know, 30 years experience doing this type of stuff it's like it's uh it's it's fun and and like you said the the hunting season is short so like i love yeah. the other times of the year like figuring this stuff out and taking gear out in the field and playing with it and seeing where where uh you know where my gaps are or trying to learn new skills whether it's you know through an online course or in person or spending time around somebody it's just like that, that part is what's fun. And I think that's where you can grow so much and make your opportunities uh, that you have as a hunter, you know, the hunting skills will come, but you know, you have these other foundational things built. It really helps those opportunities happen. Yeah. That's why I like to say like, there's no off season because even though there's hunting seasons, like there's always something you could be doing, working on training, learning, tweaking you know everybody loves gear buying gear testing gear and just you know outside of the e-scouting and the shooting the bow or whatever the the case may be like there's all these 
other things that you got to get really good at. I mean, people used to backpack, you know, more than probably they do now, at least in our, our world. Um, a lot of people that used to backpack used to come into hunting. Right. And so now, but that doesn't happen. But if you think about it, like all those skills to just be a rock solid backpacker, right. Put your camp on your back, put everything you need and go out for multiple days and live and just hang out and have a good time. Feed yourself, care for yourself, take care of blisters or whatever the case may be. Like those are so important if you ever want to go be a backcountry hunter, right? And so it's like, if you don't have those skills at the same time, you're building all the hunting skills, man, go backpack, go backpack up to a high lake and fish for three days or Go backpack and go shed hunting or go backpack and practice your land navigation and some things like that or test out your new boots or clothing or rain gear, whatever the case may be, you know, um, if you know you're going into an area to hunt, maybe in the summertime or late spring is a good time to go and backpack into that area, right? Depending on what you're doing, maybe you take your family or maybe that's the time you go fishing and then you just kind of learn that area and then you can go back and maybe exploit that terrain a little bit more to your advantage when you're trying to hunt and have to maneuver around it and can't, you know, just walk the trails. Cause that's not going to be, you know, conducive to getting the wind in your face or, or whatever it is. Yeah. So what, um, you know, we we're talking about like lessons learned, what, it, what are, or, or like even advancing as a hunter, you know, for yourself that you've had all this experience through the years, has there been any hunts in the last couple of years that have really like kind of had you step out of your comfort zone a little bit and, learn some new things when it comes to that? Uh, I would tell you that. So just having lived in Alaska for so long and, and just been focused more on the higher mountains, some of the, the hot weather stuff I've had to kind of relearn, mm -hmm. you know, some of my experiences from the desert, not, not hunting that I've had to like, rethink and hydration's been one of them right and i don't i can't eat a lot when it's hot but i have to hydrate like what does that look like and um you know bringing tarps like this last elk season uh you know the first where we were hunting anyways the first like 10 or 12 days was like oppressively hot like i ended up killing a mule deer you know while we were on the elk hunt i ended up killing a mule deer and it was 103 degrees out that afternoon <laughs> like it was, it was not as hot when I was hunting antelope in August as it was when I was hunting elk in September. And so, you know, brought a tarp to pitch just to get out of the sun, you know, and, and we talk about, I talk a lot about clothing systems and managing moisture and staying dry and staying warm, but all that, all that applies to not, not just staying warm, but on the converse side, dumping heat to cool off, you know? And so that's been a little bit of an adjustment for me because I never, I never experienced a lot of that, you know, like up in Alaska in September, I mean, hell it could be, and oftentimes was snowing on you. Right. Yeah. And, and cold. And so just trying to, just trying to figure that back out, like, man, I don't need, you know, I don't necessarily need the same amount of gear, but like I said, but I always bring a puffy, I always bring rain gear because I know that it could just as easily, and, and this is maybe a little different, the east-west thing, like it can and will snow any month of the year in the mountains out west, guaranteed. 
And if you're not prepared for that, and I, I just, you know, maybe that's where some experience comes in. I know enough to know, uh, don't get lulled into this false sense of security because it could happen. Um, but yeah, that, that hot weather stuff is, is a little bit foreign to me or it was, I, I mean, I'm kind of coming around to it now and, yeah, and, uh, kind of dialing in my system. I, I probably need to talk about that a little bit more, but yeah, that's been something a little, little new for me. That first week in Montana, so I was there at the same time last year, was terrible. I mean, I remember seeing that hundred and you know above a hundred degree weather that first week we were there, and I remember in the middle of the day just trying to find shade. I was just like laying down, just like I couldn't yeah. find shade anywhere. I didn't have a a tarp that I brought with me, which would have been a good thing to be able to have. And it's just like, and then water. There was no water anywhere other than some cattle troughs that had we'd found. So basically I had to stock up. I was carrying five liters of water with me at any time because, and I was drinking all of that. And then on the way back to camp, I would go to that, that cattle trough and fill back up. And, and then in the morning, even top everything off before I would go into the, the places that I was hunting. And, and, uh, so it was like, it was really important. And luckily I knew ahead of time to look for those types of things. Cause I knew how dry it had been. Um, and you know, I was able to see it on the map where those tanks were and be able to find it, which was super helpful because otherwise that would have been a very miserable experience, um, being able to, to do that. But I'll tell you what, it was kind of nice. It kept a lot of people out of the, out of the mountains at that time. Yeah, I'll bet it. Yeah. Uh, well, it did. And, and honestly, having lived in Montana and I was hunting in Montana, if I was smarter, I probably wouldn't have hunted that first week, but, <laughs> um, but I just can't not do it. Right. Yeah. But you know, water is water oftentimes is the, the thing that holds us back right or uh, doesn't allow us to go and stay as long as we want in an area and you know we'll 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 find our campsites and we'll find our glassy knobs and you know we'll find the the north faces and you know the open parks on the south faces or whatever it is or the benches halfway up and all this terrain for animals habitat but if we don't figure out like where we think the water sources are or where we know the water sources are and then think through how we're going to purify that water and like what we're going to put it in. Like you said, five liters. I know people, they don't carry that much containment to hold five liters. Right. So you have to figure all those things out or, man, you could have the best area in the world, but you're not going to be able to enough, spend enough time in there to really, you know, exploit it. And so, yeah, water's a huge one. Whereas, you know, living in Alaska, there was, too much water, right? It was an abundance yeah. of water. Like you didn't, you literally just didn't even think twice about water. It's like, oh, there's water. And if I'm up high, I probably don't even need to filter it if I don't want to. And here you're like, man, water's almost the number one thing you have to find once you get it in a, in a, you know, you think you're in a good area. It's like, is there water here? And if not, how do I, you know, how much can I bring in? How long can I stay? And if I can't find it, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to collect it? How am I going to filter it? How am I going to purify it? People are like, oh, I just always use a SteriPen or I always use this. And it's like, there's no like one perfect tool depending on, on that water source, you know, but without that, like, and we always concentrate on food because we all like to eat, but it's like water is a great equalizer. Again, 
especially when you're at altitude and you need even more water or when it's 100 degrees in September and you didn't plan on that and you literally almost can't drink enough water. You know, it's just it really becomes the the deciding factor in in where you can go and how long you could stay. Yeah. Yeah, and it it's funny. I feel like I still haven't figured out like the the perfect uh, water filtration system. Like, you know, I, so I, right now I think the one system I've been using is like a Sawyer. Um, I have a Sawyer, uh, mini gravity fed system that I'll bring, yep. especially when I'm doing like a base camp type thing. And then I always carry the little Aquamira tabs too as backup. Um, because I've, yep. ha- I've had those filters plugged before I had a platypus yep. one before that plugged up and it was just, a mess to be able to have, but it's just like, it feels like none of those systems like work really great in any sort of, uh, all around environment. So I have a whole bunch of them that I use depending on the situation. Yeah. I think you have to have like a, a toolbox full of those kinds of things and not, not anyone is going to work the best all the time. Like to you, same as you, like I always bring aqua mirror tabs or something like that as backups. Um, you know, people say, well, I always use a steri pen and I'm like, well, you know, dependent, like depending on where you're hunting, like if you're hunting elk and it's kind of timbered and lowlands and, you know, every reasonable water source has already been occupied by elk or you go into an area and it's like, oh, well, the, you know, guides and outfitters are in here with their horses straying or like in Montana, you run into areas that are full of uh, domestic sheep. You're like, man, I don't know if I want to pull my water out of there if I don't have to, but if I, you know, if I have to, I better make sure I can fully purify it. But, you know, a SteriPen doesn't take any of the debris out. So it's like, is that okay with you? Or do you want to filter the debris out before you pure? Like there's so many things to consider. Um, and again, there's no, there's no like perfect answer. I can't say, oh, you're going, you're going to Colorado, use this. Oh, you're going to Montana, use that. You just have to know in that pre-trip planning, you're like, I have a pretty good idea where where the water sources will be or what the water source will be. You know, if it's coming off a a big snow field in Colorado at twelve thousand feet, you know, a lot of times they don't make big enough pools to like collect the water from, right? So maybe the filtration uh filter can't can't get under the water, you know, or can't get in the water. But yep. it's like but if you have a gravity fed, I did this a couple of years ago, like you, like I could take a seep and I could funnel the seep into the, the dirty bag and then hang it and then let gravity do it in three, you know, three liters of water at a time. I was like, man, that, that works. And, and honestly, I didn't know that the first time we were in there, I learned that cause I'm like, well, there's no water unless I do this. Yeah. Like the pump I had wasn't going to work. Like there was nothing to pump from. You know, let's say somehow, you know, I it really had to engineer something. So you kind of have to have those tools and then just know how to use them and then just pick the right one for the job. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. I, I don't like a ton of debris in my water if I can, you know, if I can avoid it. And that's why I've like really went to those gravity fed ones. A lot of times they're a little bit more yeah. weight to carry and stuff, but it's they like, are, they are, 
but I, I just, I find peace in having clean water when I'm drinking it, at least like even visibly not seeing things floating around all the time and bugs. And, you know, like we had those cattle tanks and if you were to fill right out of the tank, there's just bugs and all this crap that's in there. Luckily there was a a pipe that was coming out of it, but it was such a slow drip unless you had 45 minutes to sit there and wait. Sometimes you just had to scoop it up and kind of deal with it and uh and i would not have been okay if i was just dumping my nalgene bottle in there and then uh that would have yeah been kind of disgusting <laughs> I, I don't have you had have you had giardia before no man i tell you so i got it i think in 2018 so you know years and years i never had it and i'm not you know don't do what i do but you know even when i was running around california in the sierras and stuff if we were up high, you know, I'd always just dip the Nalgene right in the creek or whatever, you know, small water sources. But man, I got Giardia in 2018 in British Columbia. And I got to tell you, like me and two other guys, um, it's the worst, most humiliating thing you've ever wanted to have. And, you know, luckily, you know, if there's any good thing about Giardia, a lot of times the, the, the time from infection to time of onset of symptoms is like, I don't know, seven to 10 days. So oftentimes you're out of the field, you know, unless you happen to get it like day one or two, but I'll tell you what, if you get it in the field, luckily I did, but if you were to get it in the field, depending on where you were and what you were doing, you would be in a really, really bad way because not only is it just, you know, like I said, kind of humiliating to have it. But I don't think there's, there would be any way to not become dehydrated. And that would set you up for some really, really bad things, right? Like if you had it, you'd be like, you'd have to leave like immediate and just hope that you could get yourself out of the field before you completely dehydrated yourself. Because whatever goes in comes right out. Yeah. And so your body just doesn't have enough time. And so, you know, if you had to hike out or whatever the case may be, um, it, it'd be really tough. And, uh, I, I don't, I don't think I'd wish, wish that on my worst enemy and I damn sure don't want it again. <laughs> so now I'm almost like, I'm more, you know, again, talking about experience and, and doing things like I'm more cautious now than ever with my water. Cause it's like, I need it. I understand that, but I don't want to, I don't want to, that, that gamble to me isn't worth it anymore. Cause I've, I felt the sting of, of Giardi and I'm like, nah, I don't want to, I don't want to do that again. No, I, I know. And like you were saying, like in Alaska, there's some places that, you know, they, when I was up at caribou hunting, the transporter was saying, no, you don't need to filter your water. I was like, I, I'm still going to do it. It doesn't take that much longer. Just, yeah, I feel better about doing it. And I've never even had it any any sort of sickness from it it's just i've heard these horror stories and i just if i can avoid that i'm gonna do it yeah and there's so much water up there it's not like it takes that much longer no. for you to you know filter it or you know get rid of it but man down here in the lower 48 like there's no way like i'm i'm probably gonna go to alaska probably go back to kodiak island in uh, probably early November is my guess. Um, my buddy drew a brown bear tag, so oh nice. Gonna go back there, um, help him hunt that bear, and you know, hopefully do some deer hunting. But see, I already know it's like, oh well. I mean, I know that, I know that environment real well. But I'm like, oh, probably we're gonna camp. Probably we're gonna get dropped off. Probably where we're gonna hunt. You know, be hunting bears. Like we're gonna be in the lowlands. And I'm like, there's no way I'm, there's no way I'm pulling water right out of the stream. 
Like, even though I did in the past, I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that anymore. Like, yeah. no way. Um, you know, good chance that guy's putting us in where other people have been. It's in the lowlands. There's lots of animals around. There's, I just can't take that chance anymore. And uh, it's just not worth it to me, you know, for the extra <laughs> extra effort it takes, you know, every time to, to fill bladders or whatever. It's just like, yeah. But it's just part of that planning process that sometimes you can overlook if, if you haven't, like, experienced some of the the issues, you know, you and I have had, it's just easy to overlook or go, oh, well, you know, I live, you know, I live in Vermont as an example, and there's water everywhere. And you just, you don't think about it and you just assume that there's going to be water in Idaho. And then the reality is there's none And 24 hours later, you're pushed out and you're like, damn, I can't go back in there for any longer than 24 hours because there's no water. And now what do you do? You know? And, um, I just think you have to, when you're, when you're e-scouting, which I'm not the best, I'm not the best e-scouter, you know, like you've had Mark on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, you know, Livesey is like, he's insane, like in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with his e-scouting, you know, and he and I have talked a bunch and I just like, Hey man, like, like, have you ever talked about this with, you know, in your course and stuff like this? Cause I think people sometimes get in there and they just sometimes think, things that we just take for granted aren't we shouldn't yeah or or we shouldn't when we're communicating it because those are the things that'll push out you'll never get a chance to shoot your rifle or bow at an animal if you can't camp in there for more than a couple of days because you have no water yeah. like it's just the odds of you succeeding are just infinitely smaller you know well i mean i mean even looking at the different times of year with water like when I bear hunted the same place that I hunted elk later, you know, when I was bear hunting, there was so much water everywhere from runoff and everything. I mean, you, you couldn't, you tripped over it everywhere you went. And then you go out there in September and I couldn't find any. And it was just, oh, like, wow. it was just a, a totally different, you know, yeah. from the time of year perspective. And yeah. again, luckily one, I had a buddy that lived out there and kind of you know, gave me a heads up on the conditions, which helped out a lot. Um, but it's just another thing to, to think about because it might even look like on a map that there's a stream coming through there, but depending on the conditions, that stream might not even yeah. be flowing at that point. Yeah. It could either be based on, um, yeah, time of year or, you know, one year's a drought year and one year's not. Yeah. Like we've got so much snow out here out West right now that, you know, it, it'll, we'll see what spring brings, but you know, if it doesn't warm up and melt off all at once, and if it does, it's going to flood everything. Yeah. So if you're coming out to spring bear hunt or fish, you should understand that. <laughs> um, but, but if it doesn't, you know, it's like animals are going to be in different areas, you know, the, the animal concentration can be moved around. Like last year, there was so much water throughout the spring that there was so much green grass that areas that traditionally, you know, you'd find elk or deer in, um, they weren't there in concentrations because they could kind of be anywhere. And so, you know, just understanding those kind of conditions is, uh, is good to know, but yeah, I'm hoping we've had the last of our big snow cause it's, yeah. it's been rough. Yeah. That's what I've early November. Yeah. Yeah. We've had the complete opposite out here in Pennsylvania. It's been literally the most, the mildest winter that I've seen in a long time. Wow. And then seeing wow. what you guys have had is just like, that's, I feel bad for the deer and elk at that point. Yeah. We've had six yearling mule deer die within 
my property and the two others around me just in the last three weeks really? that we know of. Yeah, it's just, they just, at a certain point, they just wear out. And we've had so much freeze thaw that it's created ice layers. So, you know, the, oftentimes they'll, they'll dig down to get to the veg. And it's just getting to the point where they're not even able to do that. Yeah. So luckily we had a warm up last couple of days. So like I said, I think spring's coming. I'm hoping, knock on wood, but <laughs> they need they need to break for sure. They need to break. Yeah. Well, John, I had I had a whole bunch of other things that I wanted to talk to you about <laughs> here, but um to be respectful of your time, I think uh, I think we'll we'll cut this one short here, but I I really appreciate you you coming on again and and talking with me and for anybody that's listening, you can follow along. I'd recommend I'll do a little bit of marketing for you here, John. I'd recommend going knowledgefromstorms.com, sign up for his email newsletter and a lot of different stuff that you have coming out from articles and videos and everything there. And I believe it's what Jay Barklow on Instagram. Yes. Uh-huh. And then uh, outdoor class, sign up for that and, and check out your new course, Backcountry Mission Planning. Is there anything else I can yeah. think of there? No, I think that's it. Isn't that enough? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a lot. Yeah. It sounds like a lot. But uh, no, I'm excited, man. I'm, I'm excited to finally get the information out there. Hopefully people will find value in it. Um, it's like I said, it's been a goal of mine for a decade to kind of do something like this. So I'm just honored that uh, Randy and those guys would ask me to be a part of it. So, and you too. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. No, I'm excited. Real cool. Well, with that being said, John, again, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and uh, we'll, we'll be together in May in uh, Utah yeah, doing some shed, some shed hunting. So I'm sure we'll do some more podcasting and some other stuff there. So awesome. Excited. For I it. look forward to it. Thanks, Bo. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.